this whole well, thing did. is filled yeah. with horns and blood and nudity and and gore and devil stuff. Are you ready to rock, Booberry? Booberry wants some action. Wow. She's perfect and she's beautiful and stunning and brave. Oh, Booberry. <laughs> I mean, these, these are cultist type people. They don't know shit about fuck. Give that little sweetheart a little bit of love. I feel like I'm in a dystopian horror film. We're ready to rock! This program contains mature subject matter. Including maladjusted youth, masochistic hillbillies, and the excitement of the price is right. It may be deemed inappropriate for our younger viewers. Viewer discretion advised. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. <laughs> this show is behind the shem shemas. Yes, seems. I'll give you a choice. Either put on these glasses or start eating that trash can. Yeah, it's a nasty scheme. You maniacs! What is a man? You blew it up! Damn you! A miserable little pile of secrets! Damn you all to hell! What is BTS? When we are successful, we will be. We have a real chance of this. Your patience is wearing thin. What is up? Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I am your host, Bo Burnham, joined in studio, as always, by my co-host, Bo Burnham. What up, what up, what up? And we are two comedians <laughs> who are talking shit, no filter, not giving a fuck what yeah. anybody thinks. Not a fuck. And uh, yeah, not apologizing for it. <laughs> so, apologizing, uh, let's get into yeah. it. We might say some crazy shit. Yeah, let's do it. Um, PC culture, man. It's, it's uh, fucking exhausting, right? bro. It's fucking it's, out it's of control. Exhausting. It's just... It, it, the, our culture has been taken over taken by a over. radical group of uh, SJW feminist freaks feminist, who, yeah. uh, who hate comedians. They hate us. Who are anti-comedy and anti-joke. Totally. And uh, it's gotten to the point where you can't say anything. No, Literally, 100%. you can't say anything. Literally. I, mean, I, I will try to say something right now. Yeah. Watch. Mm. Yeah, and he, he is trying. And uh, it's unbelievable trying. because it's we have fallen so far oh, from the heyday of so comedy. So depressing, dude. Um, when, you know, Tony the Pancake was headlining the comedy oh, or store. Salami you know, Williams. On a Tuesday night. Oh, just, they would oh, they just fucking just murder. Destroying just fucking that just making the Just crushing, dude. You know? And it sucks because oh, these people, they don't, they don't understand comedy. Of course okay. not. We're joking. We, it is not They're that jokes. serious, guys. Okay. It's, it's we're, not we're that serious. Around, and also, all right? we as I, comedians are philosophers. Yes. All right. Dude, Lenny Bruce, Richard we, Pryor. We, we, are we hold up a mirror. History changing uh, cultural mag- figures. And you need um, to recognize we, uh, that. All right. Comedy is an art form. Yeah, of course right? it is. We're artists. It's an art form. And, what, and, 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 and it's important because it's one of the yeah. only art forms that is not gay. 
No, or, well, no, we can't say that. But right, um, but yeah, yeah, gay. But yeah, not now. They're going to come after yeah, us, right? Uh, we're going to get right. canceled we're for not, saying this. You homophobes. We're not, we're not being homophobic. Okay. No, it's fun. when we say that. We, it's gay is just if there was another gay. word that meant gay that wasn't gay, we'd use that. We would. But there isn't one. But there isn't. So we. It's um, gay. But yeah, so it's really just a war on comedy that I yeah. realized. I was, you know, I was having a conversation with my sparring partner. Nice. And I realized that the the, the war on comedy uh. is really. Just absolutely murdering your night tonight. This is episode 105 of Behind the Schemes for July 4th, 2022. And graduating Magma Edge, come lord, this is Booberry Black Knight of the Mothman. And Lavish said, nothing, you idiots. Lavish is dead, he's locked in my basement. Ha <laughs> ha. I've been waiting <laughs> a little too long to bust that one up. But it is indeed a solo episode tonight. Lavish is at a party, and uh, I haven't done a solo episode since, like, the 30s when we were discussing the new Order of the Barbarians, and it was an interesting time. It was uh, it was right around the time that we started going live every Monday night, um, and we were kind of transitioning away from having Monty and Malachi on as uh, regular hosts. But uh, I, got some, I got some fun stuff, I think, lined up for tonight. It should be interesting. Um... Over the weekend, I did spend uh, two days out at one of the casinos, and I witnessed the miracle of life in the guise of uh, swarms of mayflies hatching. And uh, I was trying really hard not to freak out. I was freaking out a little bit. And on the drive home at like 2.30 in the morning, I just started realizing I had swallowed so many of those little fuckers. So from uh, (laughs) leaving the job site... Driving the 15 miles to the gas station, I was hacking and gagging the entire way. I mean, it was, there was so many of these little mayflies on the lights, the little park hands, the little sort of oval, circular-shaped fixtures. Uh, I asked one of the staging guys, I was like, who hung fucking tribbles up on the truss? I mean, it was, they just looked like they had fur, there were so many of them. But uh, there was, uh, it was an ABBA tribute concert for the July 3rd, big fireworks display set up to uh, time-coded music, so there was certain cues in the music where fireworks would be shot off, and that was pretty cool. I had a chance to go uh, watch it from the best spot possible, and what I mean by the best spot possible, you want to watch where the firemen and uh, fire ladies and fire people are watching with the fire trucks, and... uh, Damn, I was probably 30 yards out, rough estimate, from seeing those uh, get launched up into the air. It was a lot of fun. Um, The Mayfly swarm hatching, not so much. I mean, this whole area is just boggy swampland, and, uh, you know, we got all these bright-ass lights on stage, and they just, I mean, every, I'm okay with bugs generally, but that many, it's like, mm, it's a little too much. It's a little too much, man. I can't handle it. So, uh, now that I've given away the things that they'll use in the, um... Oh, God, what do they call that room? Uh, room 104 in, uh, 1984? Hmm. It's the one where they got, uh, all of your deepest fears locked away, ready to break you to the ultimate degree. Um, there's a specific name for the room. But it escapes me. In lieu of that, I do have... Tonight's tarot card already drawn uh, from the Line Strider deck. This is the reversed five. Oh, thank you, Servo. One oh one. It was three doors down. <laughs> um, 
so the tarot card for tonight is the reverse five of wands from the line strider deck uh this card depicts two foxes i would presume locked in heated battle mouth or ma to ma uh with the jaws just gaping open and they've got their paws up on each other's like uh torso area uh, there seems to be some sort of bird swooping in. It makes me think of, uh, inside of you, there are two wolves <laughs> running train on you. Uh, so some keywords for the Five of Wands line strider. We've got conflict, hostility, fight for dominance, fight for work, tension, and quarrel. And before we hit into the reversed meaning, a little background on the upright meaning of the Five of Wands. This card often predicts conflict tension or change this card shows that you are about to face conflict competition or upheaval even though things aren't always easy having clear goals will help you navigate your way through interpersonal difficulties knowing exactly what you want will help you figure out where to compromise and where to draw the battle line ayo and uh now looking at the reverse meaning not it's not always like a a one-to-one flip uh the reverse meaning um, doesn't mean like, uh, so what would the opposite of conflict and quarrel it would be peace and harmony? The reverse five of wands does not necessarily entail peace and harmony in terms of work. Some work controversies are about to happen. If you are currently employed, stay calm, think carefully and do your best to avoid conflicts and arguments. Make sure you have prepared your defenses appropriately, such as keeping track of your actions, taking notes, and having witnesses during the argument. Always write this shit down, people. <laughs> Why do you think OSHA got to the to the position that they are today? It was by carrying around clipboards so that they could take notes. Take note of that, folks. Uh, in terms of love, this card says that if you are in a committed relationship, some conflict on the surface may actually benefit your relationship, uh, because you'll learn a lot about yourself, about your partner and remove the tension in terms of finance. If you have problems with money right now, it's time to carefully question post assumptions. You may have thought that you couldn't cut your spending or haven't known how to make more money or achieve higher returns on investments. Think about it carefully, dude. Um, <laughs> And in terms of spirituality, know that spiritual growth is not a struggle. People may try to convince you that you need to grow in a certain direction with a certain speed, etc. You should also know that spiritual growth can uh, can also involve resolving and accepting some glaring contradictions. Train yourself to be comfortable with inconsistency. And a final message about the Five of Wands. This card encourages you to embrace change and let conflict propel you towards new horizons and bigger goals. Be alert with those who might cause unnecessary tension, division, or even sabotage. The way to overcome this situation is to seek truth, be sincere to your others and, and uh, yourself, and if you handle it perfectly, it will open new paths towards success and prosperity. I'm not sure if I necessarily identify with the uh, handling a situation perfectly. Is that such a thing? Can you just like 103% no scope a situation? And uh, I don't know. It's interesting. Well, we got a couple of boost sounds coming through. We'll uh, touch on those here in a moment. Um, be prepared for challenging journeys ahead. You will need more patience to get everything done. The Five of Wands line strider does not mention great obstacles, but just as many small difficulties and annoyances. I feel like this is uh, fighting through 
Wily's castle of like the first six, seven Mega Man games. Like you got to go through all of the l- little asshole robots jumping around, trying to take you out. And then you got all those mini bosses, like that big yellow blobby motherfucker. Um, and you know, it's with the Mega Man games, you're moving in one direction, which is forward. And, uh, you're going to come across so many annoyances and battles. But if you, if you, I guess if you land the perfect, uh, the perfect button combination and, uh, you persevere, you'll be able to rise to the challenge and finally face down Wily. Uh, <laughs> jump and shoot, man. Jump and shoot. Uh, if you would like to see this tarot card, it is posted up at the top of our show notes, which are found over at zososcorner.substack.com. Z-O-S-O-S corner.substack. You can head over there. It's part of our value for value um, production. That's, uh, of course, no agenda. Adam Curry, John C. Dvorak, they honed and perfected the uh, that that production uh, value model. Um, but the show notes are completely free. If you choose so, you can sign up and have them delivered straight to your inbox every week. Uh, pretty much right at the top of the time when we go live, which is 7.30, 9.30, 10.30 Eastern, respectively. Uh, so it's always kind of cool to get a glimpse as to what's going to be going down for tonight. We got all sorts of images, links, uh, artwork. There's a lot of artwork in this one tonight. Uh, I went a little ham wild with some stuff that we'll be uh, touching on here in a moment. But uh, yeah, with this sub stack, you, there is no paywall on it. It's totally uh, open in yours. And um, I actually re- really recently realized that you can take the headers in Substack which will generate links for you. And now I've been adding them to the chapters, uh, the chapter JSON file, which is really cool. So instead of being limited to one article, if you're listening to this show with a nude podcast app, uh, instead of just having that one article that'll link out now, I can, now there will be a link that will have damn near everything that we found for whichever topic, right? So it's uh it's very exciting. You should go over to nudepodcastapps.com, get yourself a nude podcast app. You don't want to be using the Spotify or the Amazon or the Apple or the Google. Just delete that shit. Get yourself there's so many different ones that will do different things. You got um you got people tags, it'll show you who's in the episode. There's the value streaming. You can send micro payments of Bitcoin in real time to podcasts now, uh, which is a lot of fun. They're known as boostergrams if you choose to attach an image, or excuse me, well, you, you could do an image if you wanted, but uh, you'll you'll have a message attached to it, which is uh, it's a lot of fun. We just recently, this past episode, have introduced transcripts. All right, I couldn't be more excited about uh, some decisions that were made, so... That's exciting. There's a new location tag for the show. If you check it out, you'll see the just the kind of madhouse that this uh, this production is taking place in. It's pretty wild. And uh, speaking on the boostograms, we've had two come in tonight. We had the first one from Servo for five twenty two, and he said "mal mal." And uh, I don't think there was any. There was seventy seven, seventy seven from Fletcher using the Breeze app, saying "Oh my!" from six days ago. Uh, I don't remember if we got that on the episode uh, from last week or not. 
And then Bully Steed came in with a thousand sats using Fountain, and she said, Mano a Mano with himself. Yes, I am podcasting with myself tonight. So, so hopefully, uh, can keep everybody entertained. Take a sip of coffee. Mm. And thank you for the kind words about the uh, show notes, y'all. We appreciate that. We do have a chat room, uh, which you can find over at badradio.live or behind the schemes, sch3m3s.com. You can log in with just a username. If you want to set up a password, ask somebody. They'll, they'll, we'll get you hooked up so you have a, a username that belongs to you and only you. Um, it's a, it's a great little chat room. If you, uh, if you would like, uh, to come and hang out, there's all sorts of freaks of hazards, which are producers to this show hanging out. There's an amazing chat bot called gal and she'll, uh, she'll even do, um, she'll read your boost out for you. If you are logged in, you can see him scroll by as we're doing this show live. And, uh, we have Gamatria boost as well. I don't want to forget those. But uh, there are certain values that you can boost to the show, and you'll get a special message just for you from from Gal. And we got a lot of we got a lot of really cool ideas coming up with this. Uh, we just just need the time to bust it out. Just need a lot of time. You know what I'm saying? But uh, the reason we can do this show the way that we do it is because it's value for value, meaning we don't take any corporate uh, sponsorships, no ads, no reads or nothing. We only choose to support the things that we're actually into or the 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 work that's being done that we're actually following and not just some sort of blase oh yeah i totally i you know i take blue pills all the time i chew them up (laughs) american boners (laughs) um but yes uh we also have a i got the website i think that was uh i think that was it i love you that's your daddy. Very cool, very legal. Wow! Do a commercial, you're off the artistic roll call. Every word you say is suspect. You're a corporate whore, and uh, end of story. Oh, shit, yeah! Yeah, it's a nasty thing. See their magic. Oh man, one of these days I'll learn my lesson and get myself a new fucking soundboard. <laughs> it's on a list. We really like lists here. We like getting stuff done off our list. I actually just went and gathered up uh all of the images I could find off the top of my head for show art that I've done for this show and and other shows. And it ended up being like 250 some odd images. Um, I wonder if I can get a link to that. Uh, let's drop it in the green room. Uh, we had another boostagram come in. 2022 from NetNed saying for criminal acts and violence on the stage for being a brat refusing to act your age. You can go to hell. <laughs> I love Alice Cooper, by the way. And there's the Dropbox link. But uh, 1458 from Servo, and he's got an audio file. Oh, my. Let's see what we got going on here. As soon as I can open it. With all kinds of weird shit. 
<laughs> with all kinds of weird shit. <laughs> Need to get that. Uh, I will get that saved to an application that will actually play the full fucking thing. Um, but yes, we have a telephone number. Uh, we're actually, we might do some open phone lines tonight. Feeling a little frosty. I even got a little music lined up, so there's no telling what's going to happen tonight. But if you want to get in on that action, it's the easiest way to help support this show. Public Radio 101, 612-263-7999 is that telephone number. Again, 612-263-7999. Hey, I'm doing a little bit of time traveling right now. This is a call from last Tuesday. I'm calling you from last Tuesday. Call you last Tuesday. Whoa. Whoa. Calling you from last Tuesday. There's a secret message embedded in that. I'm telling you. Calling you. See you. Calling you last, oh my god, C-U-L, Tuesday. That spells cult, ladies and gentlemen. We have a cultist on our hands. This is running amok. I mean, these, these are cultist-type people. 612-263-7999 is that telephone number. Once again, 612-263-7999. And I think to really get this party kicked off uh, proper... I'm going to play a song so I can collect myself. This is Girls and Whiskey by the Zombie Dandies. Love that song. It's such a groovy little track. And we're back kicking off the this section of the episode. I am reading from the book series Man, Myth, and Magic. But however, this copy uh is one of the copies that I found before MK Ultra and Make Heroism uh sent in the, the two books that they had found. 
uh, or three, two or three. And um, I went ahead and pre-picked a selection for tonight, which I thought would be pretty fun, pretty interesting, pretty legal. This is all about uh, the Philosopher's Stone. And for any anyone unfamiliar with the Philosopher's Stone, this is an idea that uh, there's some sort of elixir or... Um, uh, not artifact, but this like m- this charged item of power, uh, like a relic almost. That uh, the idea is that it could transmute uh, sort of garbage metals like lead into pure, pure and uh, uh, more sought after sought after elements like gold. And um, always, always thought this was a, a pretty cool topic. I got my own the- feelings about the actual philosopher's stone, which we'll uh, we'll touch on here in a moment. But um, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb, and I'm gonna go ahead and open up some phone lines. So if uh, there's anything that catches your attention here as we're discussing the philosopher's stone, feel free to call six one two two six three seven nine 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 and. Here we go with the Philosopher's Stone. Alchemy drew many of its basic ideas from the late classical spirituality, as manifested, for example, in Gnostic and Neoplatonic doctrines, and after the triumph of uh, Christianity, advocates of these ideas found it necessary to work, quote, underground. To camouflage their ideas, they resorted to an obscure symbolic language in committing their theories to writing, which remains largely incomprehensible to us. Alchemical texts were not written to provide outsiders with information. Only those who had grasped the fundamental knowledge by the grace of God and who had been instructed personally by the more experienced could expect to find confirmation and an additional instruction in these books. Those not initiated had little chance of attaining the goal of the art. For them, the process of transmutation, veiled in obscure symbolic imagery, remained a series of mysterious uh, mysterious and virtually unworkable chemical operations which were supposed to make it possible to turn base metals into silver and gold. In fact, only a few of these instructions, especially in the older treatises, relate to the chemical operations. The bulk of them are spiritual processes of uh, purging and purifying. But the alchemist were, uh, was not merely talking in allegories. The true adept was not ashamed to work with chemicals in his laboratory in order to see the concrete realization of his theory of the progressive spir- spiritualization of matter. It is this parallel concept of both a spiritual and a material process regarded as perfectly, perfectly natural by the alchemist, which causes us to classify alchemy as one of the magical arts. For in alchemy, no one asks how the spiritual perfection of the adept is supposed to bring about the purification of the substance he is treating. Our scientific logic simply does not apply to the alchemist's mode of thought. And I'm really glad within the first par or excuse me, second paragraph, they called it out right then and there that it's not necessarily this idea that uh, you're going to be transmuting this physical material from one state to the other state, although. You can do that, and it is totally a practice. The actual, well, I guess one of many goals from an alchemist was to figure out how they could transmute their soul made of lead to this um, to this spiritual being that was that was more pure, like gold. You know, you're you're taking your soul from this one plane to the next plane, and uh, funny enough. Um, 
I believe it was Bushi and Bhutan who dropped this image. It was it was incredibly synchronistic, but uh, in the Philosopher's Stone section of the show notes, you can see this spiral, uh, spiral graph. It's called the Spiral of Freemasonry, and it starts with your insert apprentice, who begins in a state of lead, and then he's traveling through this cyclones, uh, whirlpool, uh, spiral, whatever you want to call it. And then he goes from mercury to tin to iron to copper to silver to gold. And each one of these represents moving on to the next level, passing on to that next stage. And, um, you know, these, we'll see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So yeah, you know, these, um, uh, these metals are corresponding to the planets as well. And uh, I know it says Freemasonry, but I would consider this the, uh, you, you would have to compare it to the actual chapter art for this uh, section, uh, but I have sort of the alchemical process um, in the artwork, and it each one of these stages represents, you know, this base material that you're working with. Uh, so continuing on with the text... <clears throat> In the older text, the Philosopher's Stone, Lapis Philosopher Forum, <laughs> is the final object of all the operations. By a curious paradox, they are also frequently use the they also frequently use the same expression for the substance with which the work has to begin, the prima materia, the material to be worked on. The beginning and the ending of the process are firmly connected, uh, like the snake much. And uh, the primary substance is often referred to as our stone, as if its ability to germinate and develop into the final substance was its basic property. The prima materia was the subject of much speculation. It is described as a substance which is commonly and easily obtained, uh, but only the initiated recognized it. A 17th, 17th century text says, I shall tell you of a stone which is not a stone. It is like thick, curdling milk, but it is not milk, like mud, but not like any other mud. It resembles a green poisonous thing because frogs crouch beneath it. Uh, but it is not a poison, it is a medicine. In sum, it is the earth from which Adam was fashioned. The alchemist Heinrich Kuhnrath uh, referred to the primary substance as Adam's slimy earth. Slimy, slimy Adam earth. <laughs> Herman uh, Herman Kopp, Herman Kopp, a German historian of alchemy, says substances from the mineral kingdom, different plants and saps, the secretions and uh, excretions of the animal world, even its most disgusting things, were subje uh, subjected to a thorough examination. Um, they tried milk, but with little faith and then saliva to see if they had the materia prima. prima and frequently made use of human feces and urine in their uh, in their operations. It is not clear what was really involved, but the authors of old texts probably imagined it to be some sort of primeval slime from which uh, all of the phenomenon of nature had developed. And, of course, what movie does that scream out? Uh, Prometheus, and a very Satan-y sort of title for a movie. Mm -hmm. Prometheus, directed, produced, written by Ridley Scott, shows this idea of the creator beings coming down from the sky and they're going to fix it with their fix the planet with their will by spreading their black syrupy goo all over the planet turning things into all sorts of crazy shit uh making the stone once the alchemist had chosen a substance on which to work it had, it had then to pass through various stages before it could 
be deemed to have all the qualities of the stone. In describing the process, the texts frequently differ in detail, but roughly the same general pattern of operations was usually recommended. Like science. What? First, the substance must be reduced to a liquid or dissolved in a liquid called mercurial water, for only in this state was it capable of change. Then uh, This stage of the process was called solution or uh, liquefaction. Next, the material was embedded in the belly of the earth in horse dung, who, uh, whose gently fermenting heat caused it to darken in color. This was the negredo, sometimes symbolically represented by a raven, and the material underwent pure, uh, putrefaction in the same way as a buried uh, corpse. The disintegration was followed by a process of reversal during which the material lost its dark hue and became lighter. This was the albedo or the whitening, which might be symbolically expressed as the black raven turning into a white dove. The spirit or matter dis- uh, dissipated by the evaporation must be returned to the transformed substance in the process called reduction. The white material was treated with a philosophical milk and it turned yellow. Oh my goodness, that's scandalous. <laughs> and continuing on, this, uh, so we had the philosophical milk. Let's see, let me get this title. We had this philosophical milk. It's turning yellow. Uh, ooh, interesting. We got black, white, and yellow so far. That, uh, might sound familiar to maybe it was the episode after. We had Mo Facts on, but we were talking about creation stories and myths, and uh, there was a particular tribe in North America that uh, black, white, yellow, and red were uh, featured prominently in the creation story. This was a critical stage in the operation for the process of reduction could easily go wrong, and all the previous efforts were wasted. However, if it was success- successfully achieved, the material in the alchemist's vessel turned red. Whoa, whoa, holy shit. Whoa. <laughs> and it was said to turn to blood like a red dragon tearing itself to pieces. The liquid material was now required to regain its former solid state, but at a much higher spiritual level in a process known as fixation or coagulation. Many texts recommend the application of heat from the philosoph- uh, philosophical fire and an additive of gold yeast, a mixture of sulfur, gold, and quicksilver at this point. Mm, incredibly scientific. The final stage, after all the other processes have been completely uh, completed successfully, is the formation of the philosopher's stone itself. From it, the elixir of life can be produced and it can be used to turn lead into gold. Alchemical texts differ in the number of stages into which they divide the operation, some reckoning four essential steps, some seven, some twelve, but the underlying procedure is usually roughly similar. On the other hand, Johannes Isaac Hollandus, an alchemist active at the turn of the 16th and 17th centuries, recommended that the purified parts of the prima materia, which he called vitriol, should be oxidized at a moderate temperature, preferably in a sealed vessel until they turn red. The oxide is then dissolved in distilled vinegar and evaporated, this process uh, being repeated several times. The purified residue is treated in a retort. Yellow vapors rise up and are condensed, followed by a red oil, and finally by white vapors. 
The pure white salt left at the bottom of the retort is impregnated with its own distillate, and the process is repeated until a mass emerges which is firm but fluid-like wax and uh, and as penetrating as oil. This is the stone which ennobles metals and, as an elixir, can cure all ills. This description is clearly more concerned with genuine chemical processes and less with symbols of spiritual purification. It dates from the time when alchemy was about to split into speculative hermetic philosophy on one hand and chemistry as we know it on the other. The important uh, blackening stage has already disappeared, and it is precisely this stage which offers such interesting possibilities of interpretation in the light of Jungian psychology. Originally, the alchemist's material seems to have undergone a process which was regarded as a descent, followed by an ascent to a degree of uh, perfection higher than its initial state. The resurrection is described in glowing, symbolic terms in the older texts, and the descent was evidently regarded as a necessary precondition for it. There seems to be a Gnostic view here. Uh, of a matter as basically anti-spiritual and needing to be destroyed to uh, release the divine spark, the captive captive spiritual principle hidden within it. In alchemical texts down to the 15th century, no distinction is made between the spiritual and the chemical processes intended to achieve this. The adept's efforts were directed towards discovering in the chemical and transformation as a uh, reflection and confirmation of his own spiritual progress. Ooh, here we go. Here it gets juicy. The Red Lion. Hope you're ready for some Rosicrucian action. It was only in later centuries that the idealistic side of alchemy grew less important and gave way to chemical operations intended to produce synthetic gold. Descriptions of the Philosopher's Stone now become clearer and more intelligible. It is said to have a powerful but pleasing smell. Oh my. Descriptions of the color vary. In a work attributed to the mysterious Basil Valentine, that is a Basil Valentine. In the next life, I hope that ends up being my name. Basil, Basil Valentine, at your service. Uh, (laughs) In his work on the great sin of the ancient Magi, it is described as follows. Its color ranges from transparent red to dark brown, from the color of a ruby to that of a garnet, and it is incredibly heavy. Uh, Periclesis describes the Philosopher's Stone as exceedingly heavy, like a brilliant ruby, hence the name, uh, hence the symbol of the Red Lion, and as transparent as crystal. It is not hard, however, but as supple as resin, and it will shatter like glass. When pulverized, it looks like saffron. Johannes Baptiste von Helmont, a 17th century alchemist and scientist from Brabant, describes the stone as a heavy powder of saffron hue, which sparkles like glass that has not been completely pulverized. The uh, the Stone of the Philosophers, a much-quoted book by George Starkey, an English adept of the 16th and 17th century, uh, says, Having thus completed the operation, let the vessel cool, and on opening it, you will perceive your matter to be fixed into a ponderous mass, thoroughly of a scarlet color, which is easily reducible by scraping or otherwise, and in being heat in the fire flows like wax, without smoking, flaming, or loss of substance, returning when cold to its former fixity, heavier than gold, bulk for bulk, yet easy to be dissolved in any liquid, in which a few grains being taken, its operation most wonderfully pervades the human body. 
to the expiration of all disorders, prolonging life by its cure to its utmost period. The similarity between so many descriptions of the stone suggests that either the individual authors copied from each other, or that some some substance with remarkable qualities really did exist, and because it was real, was described in the same way. Uh, <laughs> spoiler alert, that's the way... Uh, that's the way I feel about it. It's uh, most definitely a thing, and it was uh, obfuscated so much it was lost to time and bastardized into this idea that it was only ever about trying to transmute lead into gold. In the 16th century and later, alchemical instructions became increasingly practical and, in the process, lose some of their exciting fascination with the older symbolism. Perhaps there really was, at that time, some remarkable medicine now forgotten, but the other attribute claimed for the stone, its ability to turn molten lead into gold, is entirely contrary to our modern way of thinking. It is possible that we are confronted here with a parachemical phenomenon. I love that. Parachemical. I have never heard this word before. In which the mind of the adept himself, in a state of ecstatic rapture, caused chemical changes which would otherwise be inconceivable let's take let's take this back for a second perhaps there really excuse me here we go uh perhaps there really was at that time some remarkable medicine now forgotten but the other attribute claimed for the stone its ability to turn molten lead into gold is entirely contrary to our modern way of thinking it is possible that we are confronted here with a parachemical phenomenon in which the mind of the adept himself, in a state of ecstatic rapture, caused chemical changes which would be otherwise inconceivable. So I wonder if this is the whole uh, concept of, you know, just witnessing something is to cause change to it. That's interesting, especially like um, this idea of like uh, ecstasy, um, this pursuit of knowledge and trying to crack the cosmic code, and you just get yourself in all sorts of a tizzy with your alchemist robes and your alchemist orb. You're just like, oh my god. (laughs) Next thing you know, you're causing parachemical reactions. Uh, If alchemy had been concerned only with the transmutation of base metals into gold, we might well dismiss it as an aberration. Untreated ores are often quite plain, powdery, uh, amorphous substances which show their true brilliance only when they have been skillfully smelted. An error of judgment may have caused metallurgists long ago to try to improve the metals even more, to give them ever-increasing brilliance and resemblance to gold. But in the more important of the older sources, the main concern of the alchemist is not to make synthetic gold. He was concerned with the spiritualization of both himself and his material, with a gradual and toilsome progression towards a great spiritual objective. The alchemists employed uh, what seemed to us strange methods, but they were guided by the noble motives in their search for the Philosopher's Stone, uh, which was thought to function as a tangible spark of divine creative power in the midst of unpurified matter. One cannot but respect the adept's uh, aspiring labors and relentless application in a quest which demanded all of his resources. Uh, Ars totem requited it, Requited it, hominin was a celebrated maxim. The art requires the whole man, and that is man, myth, and magic. The philosopher's stone. Pretty interesting stuff. If you would like, 
if you would like to see a on stage or excuse me uh i guess it would be on camera example a uh, phenomenal example at that of alchemical workings being done i would i could not recommend holy mountain hard enough i mean holy but jesus such a great movie there's even this scene where they take a piece of feces and they transmute it into gold and the whole uh argument is you know um give me your soul for it is no better than this piece of shit and we're going to take this piece of shit and we're going to turn it into something valuable something worth having something worth wanting so uh it's pretty interesting stuff i hope y'all enjoyed that and uh we'll move on into our next topic which is all about ai art we got bit hard by the ai bot and uh, after i talked with lavish and being um what would the word be uh well basically bags and a bunch of the other obdm uh folks in the chat turned me on to uh an ai art drawing bot called midjourney which i've been playing with and uh it's pretty fascinating i know there was some uh <laughs> some controversy on the no agenda social about the crayon bot um i saw the which i guess crayon c-r-a-i-y-o-n it's an offshoot from the dolly uh generator dolly mini um a lot of that was going around wasn't a huge fan of a lot of the stuff that i was seeing it was trying it was certainly trying but uh this bot I'm really happy with a lot of the results and uh, looking at them from top to bottom. Uh, the first one, which was uh, the j- inspiration for the show art, that one was done by Hellblazer Zed, I believe. And uh, it was a uh, Saturnian sigil magic, but uh, continuing on with the first one in red and cyan, this is one. Uh, these are all a series that I did uh, starts with a, um, a sigil that I tried to write out called strength in uh, strength signal sigil in red and cyan 3d. And it tries to draw this pentagram with the, um, with Crowley's, uh, pentagram. What is that called? Uh, horror. He's got a special name for his pentagram. I can't remember. It's, uh, oh, I don't know. Don't remember, unfortunately. Uh, the next one was a pinup nurse practicing Saturnian sigil magic on top of a black and white chalk uh, checkboard pattern floor, uh, drawn in a vintage comic style. And uh, this is like some Lovecraftian horror. She's got uh, like a like a tentacle arm and a face that's half formed and a face that's like zombie rot sort of and. Uh, she's missing the other half of her right arm. Uh, but you know, I thought it was cool. Uh, the third one is by far my favorite. It's the black haired girl standing in front of a mushroom cloud while wearing red and cyan 3d glasses. And, uh, it looks like, you know, kind of standing on top of a volcano, blue tights, red, shirt and skirt got the 3d glasses got long black hair and of course in the background is a giant mushroom cloud in 3d what's not to love 
um, Saturnian sigil magic with the Eye of Providence, illuminating checkerboard floor in anaglyphic 3D style. That was one I asked Bags to do up with us. And uh, it's a grid of four. If you look on the bottom right, this one, it's got an eye with a diamond around it uh, with the pupil sort of looking like Saturn. There's not rings specifically, but there's a stripe across it, which could be interpreted as a ring. And it's got rays coming out. So it's got this whole uh, eye of providence sort of vibe to it. Um, I like the next one. Pay no attention to the clowns behind the curtains cinematic. And it's got a clown peeking out from behind the curtains and he's terrifying as fuck. He's screaming. It looks like he's got like a half monkey mask, half clown face. It's hard to describe. There's a lot going on there. Uh, men in black posing with female vampires in the moonlit graveyard in the style of Frank Frazetta. Uh, this one was kind of abstract. I like it. You know, spooky graveyard and whatnot. Uh, we had another bag submission. Glow in the dark FBI agents. Neon cinematic. One of my favorites. Two dudes, purple suits, standing side by side. And their skulls are all in a glow. Uh, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. So we're going to be, I think we're going to be pumping out a bunch of these. And um, I think there's a lot of fun things that we could be doing with these, uh, whether it be using them as assets for chapter arts or doing show art or um, yeah, just all sorts of cool stuff. I actually got one submitted to the hogs yesterday for their uh, episode 304 with Nick the Rat five minute limit that they did after no agenda. Uh, one of the images I did up for them with a, rat and a pig in a field watching fireworks uh, was selected as a short, which I thought was a lot of fun. It's very legal. And, um, I don't know. I thought it could be cool to maybe generate one of these uh, here live on the air. We could do it uh, while we listen to some music. So I'm going to hit you all with a, um, with a proposition. I want to... How would I phrase this? I would like to try doing a piece of sigil AI art that keeps in mind the idea of protection, not only the physical or the mental, but just the to protect this tiny little hole on the internet that we call our home every Monday nights at 7.30, 9.30, 10.30 Eastern, respectively. So let me let me cue up another song here. Keep in mind uh, some key words that deal with magic, with sigils. Um, we want uh, protections, shields, uh, magic circles, almost even. Um, typically, what you would do with a normal sigil, and this is all very new technology. We're trailblazers here. Um, uh, what you want to do with... Uh, sigils is you take your intention right and um i'm trying to think of something that's not totally ridiculous but uh you know i want to and this is where i always get hung up with this stuff because i'm incredibly indecisive when it comes down down to uh pulling the trigger which is unfortunate because i do like doing this but i can never actually commit to anything, but let's say you take your intention, right? And you write it down and then you're going to come through and you're going to pull out all of the vowels and then you're left with just the consonants. Then you have to go through and find all of the repeating consonants, pull those out. And then you're left with, with a string of unique letters 
that would make up the basis of your sigil. So you're going to take those letters and with a pen or pencil or paint or, you know, really anything, anything that you can illustrate something with, you're going to take those letters and one by one, you're going to combine them to make a unique special image that encapsulates your intention into this symbol that you then internalize and, you know, you meditate on this. And um, eventually what you're supposed to do is uh, you're supposed to burn it. <laughs> and I'm not really sure. I'm not sure really what's uh, the equivalent of burning something on the internet or not on the internet, but on the computer would in, would entail. Um, sure. We're going to put on I have seen the attack on earth I always like this track Yeah. 
got some really nice results. I'm uh, I'm just waiting for these to upscale, and then I'll get them dropped over here into the chat room. But uh, I definitely see this is interesting. I mean, it's such a visually aesthetic pleasing sort of conglomeration of all of these loosely related words and whatnot, you know? Um, I think, oh, God damn it. Stop it. Um, wow. So we'll, uh, we'll upscale this one and maybe, you know, uh, yeah, it's, I guess unless you like <laughs> load the image onto a hard drive and then smash the ever living shit out of a hard drive, I guess that's one of the way that you could destroy an image, but, uh, you know, crazier things have happened. Hello, caller, you're on the air with Behind the Schemes tonight. How was your evening thus far? Uh, not too bad. I was, uh, out on a, a lake earlier. Oh, did you get into the water? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> in front of, have you ever heard of Art Van Furniture? Mm-mm. Um, it's like a furniture chain. They're, I think they're in Ohio and Indiana and Michigan. They might not be over there. But we were swimming, like, out in front of a house that he built. He passed away a few years ago. But they pushed the house up for sale, and it, um, it was, uh, had some gaudy rooms. <laughs> <laughs> I know you like to get wet, dog. <laughs> yeah, that's about it. You guys got uh, you got any fireworks going off this evening? Can you hear them in the background? Not quite, not quite. No. Oh, I think whoever was doing that just had their grand finale, I believe, because that was friggin' loud. Mmm. But I'm outside. I'm smoking a cigar. Oh, tasty. Uh, you know, I was I. I've always had issues with cigars, not because I, I I do think that they're tasty, but it's the physical act of smoking a cigar. I can't help but to treat it like a cigarette and uh so to inhale yeah oh, that'll screw you up yeah yeah you know you might I, not do it right away but down a little while later your stomach will be like oh mm-hmm. so but guys get used to that that, that you see it like the different cigar bars and i don't go to as often i uh always really liked cigarillos i was a big cigarillo guy for uh, like a year or so two years yeah, they had. Wasn't there one that they, cigarette that they sold that was kind of like a cigarello, but it was still like a cigarette, but it somehow got past the tax or something? And there was a brand you know, that we smoked in North Carolina called um, Cheyennes. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, there was some American Pride or something here too that had like a. a Indian pride or something. I can't remember what it was. Was it uh, like, like that here? Was it packs of 20 like you would find in a normal pack of cigarettes? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And they do all sorts of flavored stuff. I mean, <laughs> for a long while there, I was scrounging through couches to find enough uh, pocket change to go buy myself a pack. <laughs> <laughs> have, uh, have you ever smoked a clove cigarette? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like a Dijarum? I, um, those are, I like them every once in a while. Uh, I don't go out and buy them anymore. They have like a, they leave almost like a waxy coating on your, uh, on the inside of your mouth. 
Yeah, don't uh, don't try and go through a whole pack like I've done before in one night. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Ooh. Mad lad, I tell ya. Absolute <laughs> mad. A little too much potpourri. Mm. Does this taste <laughs> like patchouli to you? <laughs> <laughs> Can you taste the star anise in there? Well, what uh, what are you what are you thinking about this um this AI chatbot generating magic? You, you got uh, you any know, thoughts on that? I would even well, I saw that one you did for uh, Hog Story last night. Mm-hmm. And when I looked at it, I was like, "What? Something's fucking wrong with that." One. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like looking at it for a while, and I'm like, oh, "Okay." I'm like, "I don't know." I'm like maybe it's my, just my eyes or something, and not focusing on it right. Well, then when you said that tonight, then I was like. Oh, but I'm surprised how good it made the other rat that was in there. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I found that, like, the further along that you take an image by constantly, um, doing variations and, uh, doing upscale, uh, processes to the art, so it just makes a more refined image, it takes yeah. it pretty far. Um, I was able to get a, uh, hmm. An interesting photo of the Mothman in the hills of or the mountains of Appalachian, and um, is it that one that you posted on NAF? The yeah, that's correct. Yeah, that one was cool because it almost like I don't know there was something about it. It was kind of a little bit. I went back and looked at it twice because I was just like it kind of. I don't know. It it, it, it can captures the uh, Mothman. <laughs> sense or feel or something the way it's like into the mountains and everything and the glowing red lights and actually i got uh i got the other two done here it's uh it's kind of a toss-up between these two um let me uh i'm gonna read to you the prompt that i chose for this image while i get the uh cat box uploads ready to rock and roll um so the prompt for this one was pct grnm uh, which is the sigil sigilized phrase protect hashtag green room that's a uh, servo sent over. So it was PCT GRNM magic circle magic sigil sun red and cyan protections shield cinematic, which I thought was a lot of fun. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> quite a quite a string of words. There. Yeah, it's uh, what's the, it- What's the name of the thing that you're feeding it into? Because I've done, you know, the the dolly and then that uh, crayon stuff and the mini dolly. And this one is called one a mid journey. And the only thing that I'm not super incredibly thrilled with is the fact that it only works. From what I understand, it only works through Discord. Oh, huh. So it's it's a it's a chat bot essentially that's a. That you're messaging with back and forth, and I just dropped the two in the chat. Maybe uh, if 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 y'all have one that you prefer over the other, I'd be interested to know. Maybe you could do a poll with it or something. Uh, I'm chatting in the house. (laughs) But even even with these two images side by side, it kind of gives you this idea that there's a (laughs) that there's a um, two eyes, you know. Uh, which oh, is inside neat. The, the picture, mm-hmm. like staring at you almost. Yeah, yeah, that one's it does a lot better uh, job than uh, the dolly and the uh, crayon. It's, it's much more in depth, it seemed, and 
more refined. Uh, dude, the the guys in the OBDM chats are doing some really, really phenomenally crazy. Uh, just, I mean, they're sitting here pounding images through. Um, it's really fascinating to watch, all things considered. Um, I'm surprised because, like, it seems like if you do an overly complicated phrase into uh, Dolly or Crayon, it seems to come up with like stupid stuff. You know, it just doesn't seem to fit whatever you put into it. You know what I'm saying? There's like no, I mean, even though you're putting in a string of words, it really doesn't. You know, that means something, but what does it mean to the? It, it, it seems it seems like it's difficult for the bot to sort of uh, internalize. Yeah, exactly. Any of yeah, it? Yeah, because there was a lot of stuff. The best one that I did, I think, was Liz Cheney eating or sucking bananas. Is like, <laughs> <laughs> what a ghoul! <laughs> and, <laughs> we do one, have demons had, like, on Earth. Girl... What's that? We uh, we do have demons on Earth. Oh, <laughs> those ghouls! Those ghouls! <laughs> um, but one was like curling around her head, and she was like doing this like tongue mouth maneuver to get over to it. Oh my and goodness! Like, that was like the best one. Yeah, that was the best one of them all. <laughs> Don't threaten me with a good time, hey yo. <laughs> Oh, wow. So, yeah. Uh, let's see. Oh, my God. <laughs> Servo. <laughs> uh, some things are just too spicy for uh, for this show, but not this image. Servo just did a Dolly Mini art generator of uh, 9-11 gender reveal. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> And it looks yeah, like we're getting twins. To go look at the. <laughs> hey, it's images of the two towers, twin towers, with pink and blue smoke coming. <laughs> oh, I'm sweating. That's hilarious. <laughs> I came inside specifically just to see. That. <laughs> good, good. I'm glad you did. Get inside. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. The one, well, the first tower is two genders, apparently. It's twins. Oh, well, yeah, I I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. It could be both. (laughs) (laughs) Was it worth coming inside for? (laughs) Like the, the lower... The lowest uh, left-hand image, it's like the two towers are boys, but then WTC7, which, uh, by the way, won't go away. WTC7 won't go away. (laughs) It's apparently a little bit of hermaphrodite because it's got that pink with that little blue strip in there. (laughs) Uh, Collar, I don't think you're allowed to use that word anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you aren't? What do you Come and say what? <laughs> oh my goodness! You're inside, right? That's what I'm. What's that? You're inside, right? I just walked them back inside. Email body inspector. Open up! I think you got someone at the door there for you. <laughs> no, I do. I definitely. 
Well, we got this. Uh, this last one is is uh, finishing up. I, I I like this one too. It's uh, definitely gave me pupil, um, pupil vibes. If that makes any sense, it seems to have really taken to the circle iconography, especially with using words like sun, magic circle, and uh, shield. Which I know shields can be all sorts of different shapes, but um, you know what I mean. Surely you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I get this last one coming right to you live on the air, coming in hot. Maybe if I can get it to upload. Ah, there it goes. Chicka boom. All right, caller. I think uh, I think I'm gonna have to let you go. Um, we're gonna do another song here real quick, and we'll probably uh, look at taking an intermission. Actually, I think that's the most appropriate move right now. Uh, well. It was lovely talking to you, and I, like I say, those images are they're quite a lot more impressive than uh, anything that was on uh, Dolly or, well, actually, that one that Servo just posted was quite nice, too, but <laughs> <laughs> don't want to lie. Oh, yeah. So. Good stuff. We'll, uh, we'll be playing with it more, no doubt about that. For certain. Yeah, that's, I'm definitely... What did you say it was again? Mid journey. Mid journey. Okay. I'm writing that down. Well, I hope you have a good rest of your Independence Day. Take care of yourself. Uh, stay safe out there, caller. You too. Thank you. <laughs> Talk to you later, bud. All right. Bye. All right. I think that uh, leaves us at tonight's intermission, uh, which I have prepared for you. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, where did I put that piece of shit at? Oh, there it is. Have fun with this one. It makes there's special guest stars. you of your theory well what started to happen was they just started saying it publicly in front of cameras what we are very proud of now is a young generation like uh, prime minister trudeau president of argentina and so on so that we penetrate the cabinets i'm gonna have to ask you the same question now what convinced you of your theory well what started to happen is they just started to say it publicly in front of cameras was your data included in the data sold to the malicious third parties? Yes.
Nintendo DS. It's okay. The early games were a little too arcadey for me, but when New Super Mario Bros. released in 06, I think it really came into its own. The whole game has a consistently simplistic yet outstanding quality from start to finish. The game also carries notable usage of the DS download play, a staple feature of the DS. This combination of feature packing and innovation really gives the game a big boost. It's been compared to the original Super Mario Bros, but I think it has a far more accessible level set, with streamlined design so well made, most players won't even appreciate the intricate care put into them. But they should, because it's not just a fun and entertaining game, it's also a personal statement about the company itself. Hey Paul! friends like express extreme fear and agitation of personal responsibility and yeah like it most comes up with the gun thing you know? yes where they're like well oh, oh i don't trust myself thrice i have heard that from friends and yeah people will just be like well i don't trust myself yeah what and does that mean that is like that's alarming to me it's disturbing it's disturbing like if you can't trust yourself you can't trust anyone with a weapon i mean you, you, and do you think about you get in a car every day and drive around in a car right like 
do you ram into other people? Do you run over people in the road? Do you trust yourself behind the wheel of a car? If you can't trust yourself, it's like such a cry of like red flag mental. Yeah. And it's like, man, you've got to be able to trust yourself to just get up in the morning and go about your day and then go home at night and go to bed and be living on the earth with other people. Like, you have to be trusting yourself. And then if you don't trust yourself, then uh, why are you so forceful with all these other opinions about stuff? Like, why are you... like? That's what I don't understand. Jamming these... Um, worldviews and world opinions and what I, like how I should vote and what I should do. Like, if you can't trust yourself with the big stuff, why are you tr- like, why, why are you pushing this other stuff so hard? I think you can talk to your doctor about that and get a pill prescribed. <sighs> and it's really helpful. Hey, Davey. Yes. If a person doesn't feel like they're a boy or a girl, what do we call them? They. What are your preferred pronouns?
these in a gender neutral way. I used to use dude a lot in a gender neutral way, but it's important to remember, even if you're planning on using them in a gender neutral way, they are still gendered terms. So some people may not be comfortable being called them. It's always best to ask. Second side note, even though I'm comfortable being called uh, feminine gendered terms, Please don't call me sis if you're not another indigenous person, unless I have invited you to. Sis is a term of endearment within the indigenous community that we use to identify each other. So I'm not comfortable being called it by non-indigenous people. Never call me sis in a sarcastic way. We now return to Behind the Schemes. Starring Booberry, 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 Booberry. Welcome back to the second second half of show for episode 105 of Behind the Schemes. It is still July 4th, 2022, so you got about an hour left that you can celebrate freedom. (laughs) At this point in the show, this is where we like to thank all of the Freaks of Hazards that came out and helped produce this week's episode. And uh, starting off with the top, we had KS sending in his monthly donation of $5. Thank you for your courage. And then we also had Sir Crosstitch coming in with his monthly PayPal donation of $5.33. And thank you, good sir. We we appreciate both of those payments. Uh, I'm hoping that um, once uh, at some point we'll probably put the monthly payments towards the monthly bills that reoccur. But uh, this is what it means to be public radio. We just uh, take producership and support in any way uh <laughs> i mean we'll take it anyway we'll do uh clips or music or artwork or story ideas or monetary donations it all helps put on the show that you are listening to and that's what makes it value for value uh i also sent uh I heard back from uh, Double Thought, Double Thought Dimensions. He also had a episode uh, release this past week. Um, I reached out to him, check in, see how he was doing, and uh, he's on the path, and uh, he's he's out there, and I just want to say what up, and I wish him the best, and I hope everybody else will wish him the best as well in the green room. Uh, we do this show, like I stated several times before, every Monday night, 7.30, 9.30, 10.30 Eastern, respectively. BadRadio.live is where all of that action takes place. Now, we, uh, hmm, do we have any scream mails? Nope. Uh, maybe, hmm, what do we want to do here? Let me, we'll, uh, ooh, we'll read this boostergram is what we'll do. Uh, from Bullysteed3333 Sats using Fountain, she said, Celebrating my illusion of freedom. Hodel! <laughs> yes, hold on to that Bitcoin. Yes. <laughs> uh, oh, I should state uh, the last track that you heard in tonight's intermission was a submission from Make Heroism. Uh, <laughs> it, was a, it was a fun ride. And uh, I'd also like to shout out that uh, Mary Kate Ultra has started up a Substack so you can. Uh, get on, the, get Substack pilled, and go check it out. It is, uh, I don't remember what the domain is off the top of my head, but it's somewhere. Uh, I think it's also uh, in the recommended readings that Substack will show you. It's uh, Tom Starkweather's page shows up on there, Mary-Kate Ultra, um, the Texas Beef Initiative is another one. So uh, check it out. It's a lot of fun. There's a lot of great artwork in the Mary-Kate Ultra Substack. 
And uh, so last week I teased a story involving more cult members. Um, last week, of course, was the House of Prayer story where the FBI raided a couple of locations related to this uh, large church. This church was accused of uh, recruiting former military members and uh, basically taking them for everything that they had, including their pensions and so on and so forth. It was just a bad time all around. And it just happened to be that I had another cult story that was breaking around that same time last week. And this is the story of the Fellowship of Friends uh, to set this all up. This is the clip that we had from last week. I'm just going to go ahead and play the full thing again so we are up to date as to what happened is what is happening. I just know that at this current state in time, I I feel really bad for Google, okay? They got this AI bot shenanigans going on and now they're being sued with accusations that they've had a cult in, uh, infiltrate their numbers. It's a bad time all around. What comes to your mind when you think of Google offices? Google has huge swanky buildings, free meals, casual sitting arrangements, and sometimes even wellness centers. The company often tries to push the cool office image. I mean, their headquarters even have a bowling alley. It does sound cool, but what if I tell you a cult could be calling the shots behind the scenes? Here's some other googly extras and their benefits if you work for the company. Inspiring spaces to work, recharge, and collaborate with fellow Googlers. This is straight from the Google website. Top technology, including internet reimbursement and company-paid mobile phone. On-site meals and snacks. hey oh, you will eat the bugs and you will be happy. Fitness centers, uh, massage programs, and ergonomic support. At-home fitness, well-being, and cooking classes. Art prog- uh, programs, talks at Google, legal surface. And of course, Dooglers, which I guess is the Google Dog uh, something or another. Um, Yeah, they get all sorts of hybrid work models. So two work from home days each week for most roles. Uh, uh, Four work from anywhere weeks per year. Uh, Child care, survivor income benefit, caregiver leave, parental leave, and baby bonding leave. Uh, competitive compensation, you, you're just you're winning in a lot of ways by working for Google. This is what a Google contractor who was fired claims in a complaint. The religious group in question is known as the Fellowship of Friends. It is a tiny California sect that believes spiritual awakening through exposure to fine arts. It believes in that. In a recent lawsuit, former employee Kevin Lloyd claims... They have gained influence over a Google video production unit. So the unit has around 24 members. Half of them are supposedly from this California sect. According to Lloyd, they even directed Google funds to the fellowship-owned businesses. Google allegedly buys wine from a winery run by members of, by a member of the fellowship. Lloyd says when he tried to raise an alarm, he was fired. The Fellowship of Friends has been embroiled in controversies earlier. Its founder has also faced multiple allegations of sexual abuse. The Google Developer Studio is also run by Peter Lovers. He is said to be a longtime member of the Fellowship of Friends. The tech giant was yet to react to the report, and the new allegations have embroiled Google in religious controversies. 
It looks like the tech giant may soon have to sharpen its spiritual radar. You gotta sharpen that spiritual radar. And I guess uh, one cult company shouldn't be hiring members of another cult. You don't want any cult cross-pollinization, I suppose. Uh, so yeah, some uh, just to kind of catch us up what was happening in that clip... Um, in Sierra Nevada, there's an organization called the Fellowship of Friends. Uh, they have a 12,000-acre compound full of art and uh, furniture and antiques and all sorts of crazy shit. Uh, this religious sect believes a higher consciousness can be achieved by embracing fine arts and culture and uh, has gained a foothold inside of a specific unit at Google. Uh, as many as 12 fellowship members and Chris Rilel, Re, oh my God, relatives worked for the Google Developer Studio, or GDS, which produces videos showcasing the company's technologies. And uh, this lawsuit is brought by Kevin Lloyd, a 34-year-old former Google video producer. Uh, many others staffed company events working, uh, I'm assuming this is talking about other cult members, uh, many others staffed company events, working registration desks, taking photographs, playing music, providing massages, heyo, and serving wine. For these events, Google regularly brought wine from an Oregon house winery owned by a member of the fellowship. Uh, Mr. Lloyd claimed that he was fired uh, because he complained about the influence of the religious sect. He also named Advanced Systems Group, uh, the company that sent Mr. Lloyd to Google to work as a contractor. Most of the Google Developer Studio joined the team through ASG, uh, the Advanced Systems Group, as contractors, including mem many members of the fellowship. Mr. Lloyd filed uh, this suit in August to the California Superior Court and accused them of violating a California employment law that protects workers against discrimination. The New York Times corroborated many of the lawsuit's claims uh, via interviews with eight current and former employees of the Google business unit. And uh, these, uh, they also checked three records, which one of them was a membership roster of the Fellowship of Friends and uh, Google spreadsheets detailing event budgets and photos taken at these events. So we must be, uh, we're, we're surely curious as to what the Fellowship of Friends believes in as a religious cult of some capacity. And, uh, Found a pretty nifty um, introduction video. It's about 10 minutes long. We won't be playing the full 10 minutes, of course. But uh, this is about the finer things and talking about what um, the, th the sort of high-end materials. See, the thing that you got to realize about this cult is that um, it's all about opulence. It's all about, you know, having the finest things. And, you know, they got multi-millions of dollars in arts and in furniture and a lot of like mean dynasty uh, vases and whatnot is a really really high-end shit 78 year old robert e burton has built a 1300 acre compound known as apollo deep within the trees for he and 600 of his followers they're known as the fellowship of friends and their compound has an operating vineyard and winery an amphitheater and even a museum where burton keeps his collection of fine art and antiques but who is Burton, and how did he obtain this following of people that all prefer the finer things? For that, we need to go back. Back to the 1960s. A transition period in America that saw New Age spirituality on the rise and had the youngest Americans flocking to these new philosophies left and right. 
It's during that time in 1967 that one New Age philosophy caught the eye of a young Robert Burton, an esoteric belief thought up by Russian philosophers known as the Fourth Way. After being fired from his teaching job for, quote, hugging the children too much, Burton began to learn under a man that was a teacher of this self-help belief system until Horn removed him from his school for breaking the rule of abstinence. Not long after that, Burton attended a party and did mescaline with a woman named Bonita. During their trip, he told her that he was of a higher power and explained his version of the fourth way to her. Convinced of his story, she became the first member of Burton's Fellowship of Friends, and the two of them began to spread Burton's new religion to the wealthiest New Ages around, with promises of enlightenment attached. Now, the fourth way uh, was something that we had touched on not too terribly long, uh, long ago. It was uh, episode 103, I believe. When we were taking a look at the podcast called Conspirituality, and uh, there is a specific clip, um, maybe it is, I'm going to go out on a limb, and I think this clip also talks about the fourth way. Let's take a look here. The other concept that I would bring into this, it interacts with, with uh, cyclicality, is the notion of caste hierarchy. Um, I think a lot of your your listeners might be familiar with this, uh, thanks to Hinduism. But if you think of a of a of a uh, a Hindu caste hierarchy, with mm, I don't think it was that one. We'll try one more. And from my perspective, we're talking about relatively few people in the scene. If I if I were to just take, let's say, a festival in Europe that I sometimes go to observe as as a sample size, we would say I don't know three or four out of a hundred. Hmm. Well, bummer sauce. Uh, I should have went and found, I would highlight found this two, beforehand. Um, two lessons that they that they derive from this this practice of comparative religion that end up being relevant to politics. We could talk a lot about about all these, but here are the two that I think are most important. One of them is cyclic time. Hmm. Oh well, I unfortunately can't remember it. So way to look like a fool. <laughs> We'll jump back over into uh, tonight's clips, and we'll uh, continue on learning about Apollo's landing. After a brief recruiting campaign, Burton used the tithes he collected to purchase a plot of land he would later name Apollo. By 1971, Robert Burton had announced that he was essentially the second coming of Christ, saying, quote, I am the avatar of an age. And he promptly moved himself and his followers to the 1300 acres in the mountains of California. After moving there, he immediately began to assign jobs to the Fellowship members to build the compound and Burton's personal mansion called the Galleria. Work on the compound was similar to slave labor, with 18-hour workdays, very little food, and often go days and days without any time off. So for 18 months, the average hours were 18 hours a day, including many operations lasting up to five days with no sleep at all. And this was a huge vineyard that they ended up uh, that they ended up building, and it was in operations until 2015, I think, is when it finally closed. Um, they still have plenty of wine that they can actually uh, on stockpile or in stockpile that uh, that they can still sell. Uh, which I guess with the vineyard shutting down, it's only going to increase the cost of, uh, because of the scarcity of said wine. So it sounds like it's a win win for them. Uh, this next clip. 
it's uh i I know this is going to sound like a shock but (laughs) this group kind of reminds me of scientology in some ways he limited the interactions allowed with outsiders and banned all books on any type of psychology other than the one that he was trying to teach them he convinced his followers that he was of sea influence a level of spirituality he called truly awake and this he claimed gave him and him alone the ability to speak to the 44 angels that were demanding all of these things of his followers. Yes, 44 angels speak to Robert Burton, and through him, they command the Fellowship of Friends to erect statues of Greek gods and build lavish mansions for Robert Burton. And the people do this, all in hopes that they too will one day truly awaken and become sea influence, or a quote, number five man, like the avatar of an age, Robert E. Burton. Now the number 44 would have a significant role moving forward. Robert would say, If you saw the number 44 in different sequences, it would indicate the number of angels surrounding you and protecting you at that moment. He he used his divine connection to the 44 angels to make many predictions. Ones claiming members of the fellowship will inherit the world's material goods and act as the ark for the new civilization based on the Greeks and are thus presently preparing themselves to prepare the torch of civilization now and in the future. He claimed there would be a Great Depression in 1984 and in 1971 while driving in california he noticed the odometer read 1998 and a mailbox on the side of the road read 41211 this leading him to believe that that was a sign that california would fall off into the pacific ocean on april 12 1998 at 11 a.m when the date eventually came and went burton went into hiding for a short period of time saying that the 44 angels had taught him a lesson in humility and he needed to go into seclusion. He came back not long after that, saying that the world would fall victim to hydrogen warfare, as he put it, in 2006. Burton claimed to have taken on the task. Hydrogen warfare, that sounds pretty sexy. Uh, (laughs) One of the claims is that California was going to fall right off the coast of the United States, and uh, hasn't happened yet, so uh, (laughs) post or GTFO, I suppose. (laughs) Um... And of course, with any cult, uh, you're going to have those little fucking Stasi members running around always trying to snitch on your ass. One unnamed man says he spent years as one of Burton's concubines, sometimes taking financial bribes from Burton until the man eventually refused to do it anymore. And at that point, Burton shunned him and revoked his status within the cult, however, allowing him to continue to pay for membership. Now, the Fellowship of Friends has a Stasi-style system of social policing where members would inform on people that had transgressed, and they would monitor each other in hopes that they could use secret information to snitch on other members to gain favor with their leader, going so far as to hug other members to try to smell smoke on them to use it as proof that that member had broken a rule. Mm, smell the smoke, smell the sex. They'd do the same thing for uh, you, were, you weren't supposed to have any sex outside of marriage, and uh, it was a very strict rule, uh, which we'll see. A little bit later, that uh, it wasn't necessarily always followed by certain members of this group. Um, But yeah, you know, you would face fines if you ended up doing the deed with somebody that you weren't married to. And you pay the fine, you did it a second time, and you get your ass kicked out. Uh, (laughs) Kind of sucks. Um, So that's just kind of like baseline, like, you know, we're we're testing the, the temperature of the water in the pool. Um, I was able to go back cross-reference and find the clip that I actually was searching for. Sorry for the false starts earlier. Um, here is Conspirituality talking about 
this episode was them discussing Steve Bannon uh, specifically and Bannon coming across the teachings of the fourth way. In liberalism, you have a sovereign individual. In communism, you have the class. In fascism, you have the state aligned with the race. As I look at all those, the the design concept, what he wants to see as the subject of his fourth political theory, is almost a spinoff of the fascism one. Um, that's not to say that they're the same. Um, I, I don't I don't want to give easy candy to anyone thinking about this, but it's it's almost as if you could start by saying, okay, well, we know that the state and race are are kind of phony, artificial, abstract entity constructs of modernity. Um, but maybe let's let's pretend for a moment that they were, you know, mistaken, failed attempts to capture something else. What is that other else? Oh, man, that's so creepy to hear you say that. <laughs> Fascism was almost right. It almost got to the heart of reality. It oh, no. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, it was just a little bit fake. Yeah. It was too modern. It was, it too, was modern. too modern, right. Okay, too technologized, probably. Too materialistic. Too yes. Yeah, absolutely. You're right on, you're right on target. Oh, Oh, wow. So, so just Nazis liked too much stuff. They liked too much stuff. They were too scientific. They were too massified. They were too rationalized. They were too institutionalized. They took too many drugs. <laughs> I, uh, you know, Julius Evola was all into drugs. <laughs> oh, okay. So that's funny. Actually, actually, that's a whole nother, that could be another show, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of these people are, are really into hallucinogenics. Still cracks me up to hear uh, members of a cult uh, react <laughs> in the way that they did in that specific clip. It's a little off the rails, uh, a little uncalled for, I'd suppose. But uh, regardless, um, this cult differs in some ways. Uh, the, you know, they they make the claim here in this previous clip that we were just listening to from Conspirituality that uh, you know these uh, these organizations are really into doing drugs and tripping their balls off and so on and so forth. But uh, m- members of the Fellowship of Friends led a mostly clean life outside of alcohol. Uh, now, alcohol was used in several instances from just the stuff that I was listening to in ways of uh, abusing certain members of the organization. Um, but uh, I mean, if you're you know. One of your main elements of making bread and butter is uh, growing grapevines and turning on wine. I'm assuming that the booze would flow. So, we'll, uh, what we're going to do now is step through, because surely you would like to hear what some of the members and former members of this cult have to say about uh, their experiences. This, um, this first clip here comes from uh, a documentary called Don't Ask, Don't Tell, The Fellowship of Friends Confession. And uh, please, no use of the word I. I'm Victoria Wilde Zyshek. I joined in 1978. I really didn't talk much when I was in the Fellowship of Friends when I was around um, other members. Well, I was always really nervous and I don't think I ever said anything it just you know just terrified really I really didn't like the way um, members interacted with one another I thought it was very cold and um, very unhomelike 
they had this exercise where you couldn't use the word I. You had to refer to yourself as it. Robert Burton was asking women to give up their children, and I was very uncomfortable with both of those things. My husband knew for years that Robert Burton was homosexual and using, you know, young men who are members, and I didn't know. He didn't tell me. He didn't share that with me. I found out when a, a good friend of ours was abused. My husband was, was best friends with his father, and, you know, we watched Troy grow up. And I knew him when this was happening, when, when uh, Burton first started inviting him to come over. And I remember he got, he got ulcers. It seemed, it seemed like something odd was going on with him. He didn't talk about it. I, you know, I didn't really know, but when I looked back on it, I knew there was something wrong. Everything's controlled. The way you think is controlled. Um, can't really talk about anything. Um, one man at the head and his word is God, you know. At a meeting, some members had stood up and asked rather provocative questions and they were thrown out uh, of the fellowship the next day. It's an evil organization. It's just, um, it has nothing to do with spiritual growth. Um, it's a cult. Um, everybody who's there is abused in some way on some level. If I had known what was going on, I could not have been a part of that organization. I didn't ask questions, and I regret that deeply. Kind of heroin, heroin, heroin stuff. Um, there is no shortage to the uh, number of allegations levied against Robert Burton, the founder and leader of the Fellowship of Friends. Uh, there's actually been a couple of lawsuits that were settled out of courts. Uh, I think the first one was uh, 84-ish, and the second one was 96, both involving underage boys. Uh, too, too scandalous for prime time. Um, so this uh, story in this church, this cult, this sect, uh, was the feature of a super sweet Spotify exclusive show. Uh, and by show, I mean podcast, and by podcast, I mean a... Uh, just a constant orgasm of uh, sound beds and dramatic music and pauses and over-editing and overdubbing and just all sorts of... <laughs> it's just overproduced. Uh, but I went through, and I listened to it on the free Spotify with ads just to bring these clips to the show for tonight. Uh, that whole experience of using Spotify for podcasting that's a separate conversation for a separate time because, oh my goodness, not fun. Fuck Spotify! So this is a show called Revelations. Uh, it was, let me get you the name of Mr. LaPodcaster that wrote it. Uh, there's a whole, <laughs> uh, at the end of these shows, if you listen to No Agenda a couple of weeks ago, JCD brought a clip of a show that he said would never make any money because it went through the credit rolls of everybody involved in producing this show. And this one, this show has got like three different production companies, all sorts of 
writers and voice actors and uh i mean it was it was a work in progress for three years he spent uh researching this show um you know jennings uh man what is your name dude uh maybe jennings brown that's his name he met with a fellowship of friends starting in 2018 he's an investigative journalist uh, he spent a lot of time going to Apollo's Landing, um, talking with current members, seeking out former members that lived in the areas, doing phone calls with the ones that were too far away. And uh, this first clip is he is talking with, uh, he's he was one of the uh, wine masters that worked for Robert Burton and the church. And he's since moved on from the organization. He's uh, originally from Israel. And uh, uh, Ed Brown, the, the podcaster in this, the, the, the researcher, is he remarks that, um, that, uh, that this dude seems so dis- uh, detached from what happened at the time. I have a part of me that sees things in a fatalistic kind of a way. Shit happens to people. So it's a little bit like the spider sitting in his cobweb, and if you are attracted to whatever it is you're attracted, you may pay for it. Now what is your understanding of what was actually happening like? Well, he was organizing things so that he can satisfy his appetites. And unfortunately, it's involving his position as a spiritual teacher. To me, that is his crime. Because the fact that he's trying to make things happen so that he can have endless chain of young people, fine. I don't care. But to envelop this in the world of, I'll be your spiritual teacher, to me is not acceptable. Do you have like an estimate for how many people were coerced into having sex with him? Not really. I, I'm, I would guess that it will be in the hundreds, but... Oh my goodness, in the hundreds alleges this gentleman, and uh, if you consider the idea that Google has hired uh, about a two dozen of these members of this religious organization, uh, who, by the way, I found out that uh, the reason that they started filing as a religious organization, this will be a shocker, is uh, they were trying to avoid getting audited by the uh, IRS turns out so this next uh next clip we are let me check the notes here uh this is another member of the group uh green alan green i believe his name was um this dude just it it strikes me a little odd that he's so happy and proud to have at one point held a guinness world record my name is alan green I joined the Fellowship of Friends November 1974 and left on April Fool's Day 2016. I meet Alan at his home a few miles away from Apollo. He joined in L.A. and moved out here after a little detour. I had to go serve a little time in prison for three months. So that was just a half a year after I had joined the Fellowship. Do you mind saying why? No, no, I don't mind. I'm, I'm happy to... <laughs> the insurance company I worked for. We were running the biggest insurance fraud that 
the Guinness Book of World Records ever knew about. They listed it for 10 or 15 years. Yeah, it was pretty good. That got written up in Rolling Stone. Really? Yeah, photo by Annie Leibowitz. Wow, yeah. Did the whole bit. Of you? Me. Wow. <laughs> it was cool. And then I went to prison. <laughs> it wasn't a bad experience. So you stayed interested while you were in... Yeah. So you're looking at a devotee here because it was minimum security. <laughs> I was able to bring all my books in and I had visitors oh from the fellowship every couple of weeks. And even Robert Burton, the teacher, was sending messages. What kind of messages was Robert sending you? Oh, he would send stuff like, remember, everyone out here is in prison also. They just don't know it. You know, little inspirational things. So then I actually moved up here to Oregon House, to the property. I was immediately confronted with three predictions that were already on the books. What they need is mommy and daddy government to come and take care of them. So this is where uh, I was really starting to get into the show when they were discussing all the doomsday predictions that Robert Burton was laying out. And uh, there was a couple that we've already touched on, the state of California falling off, um, a a variety of uh, collapses, and of course the hydrogen wars. But it's interesting to hear it from the perspective of uh, Mr. Green, one of the members. Predictions. Doomsday predictions based on messages that Robert receives from angels, 44 angels to be exact. These angels all became enlightened beings during their time on Earth. It's a pantheon that includes Shakespeare, Da Vinci, Rembrandt, Bach, Sophocles, oh, and one woman, Queen Elizabeth. These angels speak to Robert, delivering spiritual guidance and omens that Robert shares with his followers. These doomsday predictions have been sent from the angels multiple times over the last 50 years. The first prediction was a worldwide depression in 1984 leading to major wars. It was going to be kind of a cataclysmic depression that was supposedly going to destroy civilization. Then there was a second prediction. There would be massive earthquakes to pretty well destroy California, what was known as the fall of California. And we all prepared for that. Robert said Apollo was perfectly positioned so that it would survive the earthquakes and become beachfront property. In all these predictions, the outcome is that Apollo and the Fellowship survive while the rest of the world is destroyed. And then when it comes Mm -hmm. and goes... He would say, they did that to humiliate me. To give me humility. As in, the angels lied to Robert about the predictions to teach him a lesson. How great, my teacher is even more humble. And then the third prediction was to be a nuclear holocaust. A nuclear war. And everything gets wiped out. Except us, of course. Oh my goodness. They did it to humiliate me. That's why I was wrong. <laughs> Sounds like somebody else uh, hmm, can't quite place it. But uh, yeah, you know, in some ways, maybe maybe Burton was off by uh, a couple of years here and there. Uh, Turbo notes, uh, maybe he was off by 38 years. <laughs> um, 
So, yes. And uh, well, we're going to take a pause here. I, my apologies to this caller. I saw that they were trying to make a couple of phone calls in, and they've left a screen mail. What's up, I just wanted to call in and say hello. Oh, hello. And uh, hope hope everything's going well. I'm sure I'm sure it's going great. I'm I'm listening uh, on my phone uh, when I can. I, I've been running all over the place. My feet haven't touched the ground for three days. Uh, but uh, sounds like good shit. There's a lot of explosions. There's a lot of booze. There's a lot of drugs. I hope you're getting a taste. Um. Yep. Oh, shit. <laughs> Fucking explosives everywhere. Anyway, uh, yeah. Fucking America. Fucking America! America. <laughs> well, thank you very much, caller. I appreciate that. Uh, my apologies. I, I should have opened the phone lines again. Do we want to? I suppose so. If you're okay sitting here through a couple of clips with me, we'll, we'll try it out. We'll, we'll give it a couple of go. And in the green, <laughs> in the green room, too. The Blumkinator. Oh my goodness. Uh, so we've got the Apollo fallouts. Uh, Burton was preparing for these events. He was getting the cult members to prepare for these events. Uh, some of these events didn't happen. And um, we're going to, with this next clip, get uh, more insight into some of the more commonly held beliefs with these members. The winery was constructed as a nuclear fallout shelter as well as a winery. This is Ames. Ames Gobert, that's the name I'm known as here in the States. Back in Britain, it's Ames Moore Gilbert. Double barrel name. Ames is another ex-member. He helped build Apollo from the ground up, including the winery. What did that involve? Our own concrete plant. An awful lot of concrete. Just the amount of rebar, all done to the very highest standards by fellowship crews. All this construction was fulfilling Robert's vision of a new empire, based on the messages he received from the 44 angels. William Shakespeare, Rembrandt, Johann Sebastian Bach, Dante Alighieri, Walt Whitman, Joseph... Son Certain of angels wrote a play for humans to enact. And the play was called The Play of the Fellowship of Friends. And everything that ever happened regarding the fellowship... It's all part of the play. The play. The angels are the playwrights. Robert is the director. All his followers are the actors. It's something he's been teaching from the beginning. The earth is an ancient theater. This is Robert Burton. It's a recording of him speaking to his followers in the 70s. When one verifies that a play has been written for every day of the remainder of one's life. A play has been written for every day of one's life. And even one's second of expiration is determined. Then one can neither go beyond one's fate, nor can one fail to reach one's fate. Robert is the only one who knows the plot because he's the only one who can hear the 44 angels. And this play, it's still happening. The next scene in the play is another predicted apocalyptic event. And what's going on with the fellowship these days? Robert is still making predictions for the end of the world, the next one coming in October, October 21st, to be specific. Uh, so I really, I really thought the uh, theatrical aspect of this was 
fairly interesting of course we got the uh all's or all the world's a stage and we are merely players but uh mr burton here has inserted himself as the director and all of these people that revolve around the fellowship of friends are nothing more than uh actors reciting lines from a script that's already been preordained by angels such as uh shakespeare and uh Walt Whitman, Walt Whitman. Oh my God! I did try to find the full list. Uh, I I wasn't having much luck. Um, it's something I'm going to have to explore further. And um, I guess on the notes of the actual performers, uh, we should hear what uh, I think this is Green again, uh, Mister Alan Green, talking about his role in uh, Under Burton. I met Robert. And his state just catapulted me into myself. I woke up and I thought, this guy's a magician. If you're a child awake in the front row, you don't see the puppeteer. You see the play unfold on the stage. And we are the puppets in a living play. And oh, hello, caller. Uh, I didn't mean to interrupt your own clean span. Oh, no, please. That's why I left it open. <laughs> Uh, mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, a dog just ran into the garage here. Something's the neighborhood. I gotta watch out where I'm stepping here. I'm gonna step in dog shit. Oh no! Don't step in dog shit, caller. That is not medical advice. Yeah. How you doing? Happy Fourth of July. Oh, happy Fourth of July. I uh, get to see any uh, spectacle for tonight. Uh, there's a lot of explosions going on. Mm. A lot of music being played. Uh, I uh, I threw on the Patriot. Mel Gibson's the Patriot, as is tradition. Classic. Uh, you know that's uh, the house that uh, I think it's the kid. He's hiding un- underneath the table while British soldiers search the house. Yes. Well, I, we've been at that uh, that place in South Carolina, Brattonsville, South Carolina, is where that house is uh, still at. They filmed mm-hmm. the scene there. So they really, uh, they really filmed it in South Carolina, which is where the, the film was really set. Oh yeah, all up and down, all sorts of different parts throughout the South. There. Yeah, it's a lovely movie. South Carolina looks like a lovely place to be. I love the just the image of Mel Gibson running through the woods, a musket in each hand, bang, bang. That's why I just started fucking blasting away. It's funny how they, they all have these flintlocks, and they're just like. It's endless. Like the the evil colonel, English colonel, has this one shot pistol that he can get like seven shots out of at a time. Because <laughs> he's a <Yeah>. badass. <laughs> so badass. I don't need to reload this pistol. Is that what we what would be considered a high capacity magazine? <laughs> yes, we need to outlaw those immediately. Oh my goodness. Yeah, man. Those English, they're dicks. Uh, they they kill like. Four or five of Mel Gibson's kids. So at the end of the movie, uh, at the end of the movie, he only has like eight kids left. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and all the to- just like being able to just uh, no scope mofos with the with the tomahawks and the hatchets <laughs> running yeah, through the yeah, woods. He's able to like plug people in the face with his shitty musket and his shitty pistol and his his Comanche axe. You know, there's uh, there's reenactors that uh, that I grew up around that were extras on that movie, and uh, 
you know how they do the dailies, the reels and whatnot? Uh, yeah. I guess during filming, a lot of the squadron leaders and whatnot were checking out the footage that had been filmed, and Mel Gibson ended up kicking them out of the tent because they were laughing so hard at the uh, over-the-top, sort of far-be-it-from-the-truth uh, scenes that they were filming with Mel Gibson. Mm. That was pretty funny. Um, I haven't seen that movie in a long time. I, mean, yeah. I have it in, I have, actually have it on VHS in the other room. Of course, it's the only way to watch it. Hell yeah, dude! Well, do yeah, you have you a? Watch it on the golden VCR. I got the golden VCR earlier today, or the golden VHS, I should say. Oh. Uh, what uh? What do you think of this Fellowship of Friends? Have you been able to tune in to any of that? I, I've been trying. Uh, <laughs> my uh, my family's been very demanding today, but uh, no, I. I I, I haven't heard quite enough to weigh in it, unfortunately. But uh, it's a it's a I'm, I'm fairly thinking. large sex cult, man. Like fifteen hundred members. Each one of them's got to pay ten percent tithing. Uh, that's a that's a racket. Oh, did you hear that? Oh, big boom. Big booms. Lots of big booms. Uh, that's a large sex cult. I mean, how do you even? You got to really, you know, to pull that off. Seems like a lot of work. Well, that's you just got to brainwash everybody into doing the work for you, and then all you got to do is just groom all the underage boys and uh, call it a day. <laughs> uh, I am so an angel, man. Uh, what a life, you know. <laughs> just, just start, L. Ron was right. Just start a cult, start a religion, whatever. It'll work. Yeah. As long as you believe it, others will believe it too. Mm. Don't dream it, meme it. Meme it. Cream yep. it. Cream it. If it's in a sex cult. <laughs> Be it. <laughs> Don't meme it. <laughs> Seeking applicants now for a new hot sex internet orgy cult. <laughs> if someone's reading that, it's like, huh, that's for me, I think. Wow. Hey, you know, yeah. I, did, I did do a fortune reading which said I should look for new and exciting endeavors. I should check this out. <laughs> Hi, my name's Endeavors. New Endeavors, that is. <laughs> but you can just call me Daddy. You can call me Daddy Endeavors. <laughs> daddy Endeavors. That's daddy. your daddy. <laughs> Gosh, I really, I really hope so. Wow! Oh, what the fuck is that? <laughs> there is some shit in the sky right now that is a UFO. Oh my goodness. Well... If they do decide to try different probes on on you, uh, try and record it. <laughs> yes, please. Over here. Oh, look at that one. Hell wow, yes. there's so much explosions going. Anyway, I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna let you do your bit. Uh, I want to do it. So I just wanted to call and you. Open the line. So I figured I'd call and say hi. Well, thank you for calling in, caller. We appreciate it, and uh, we'll probably talk to you next week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, big fan of the show. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to, yeah. Well, maybe I'll see you soon. Uh, first time caller, long time boner. <laughs> long time hauler. All right. Well, have All right. a happy fourth, Peace caller. Take care hey, of yourself out there. America. And uh, hashtag Green Room. All right. Yeah. 
Thank you very much, caller. We appreciate that. Uh, we'll leave the phone lines open for a little while longer. We'll uh, continue on with this clip. Uh, we're talking about... Uh, where were we? See the puppeteer. You see the play unfold on the stage. And we are the puppets in a living play. And it's not ours to write the role we're in. It's ours to play as best we can. Puppets in a living play. I've heard that people inside the fellowship view the world as a play written by the 44 angels and directed by Robert Burton, but I'm surprised to hear a member express this so directly. Since Jack has already told me about the predictions, I feel comfortable asking Marcus about it. I, um, I want to ask, are you prepared? Yes, I am prepared. So I've done everything I could to put my life in order as if this is going to happen. What do you think is... The prediction... I don't know if I want to record it. Robert says, if it happens, how's he going to remain invisible? Everybody's going to think he's the next, you know, Messiah or something. But anyhow, uh, forgive my silence on it. I'm actually, I'm a puppet, you know. If it happens, it will purify life from a lot of illusions. Marcus has been here through every failed prediction. It's hard for me to understand why he has so much faith in his teacher even still. But then he tells me this story. One night, he invited us to have a teaching dinner with him. And at the end of the evening, he sent one of the students for his car. And then he turned to me and he says, I love you more than your own parents. And I go, like a baby looking at his spiritual father, you know. That's your daddy. And right in the middle of that intimacy the parking attendant sticks his head right between us and he says get the show on the road (laughs) and I see Robert he grabs his mouth and what I see is it's like the energy conscious energy in his eyes went from this controlled gentle state that I could handle to like a nuclear explosion and my perception, subjective as it may be, was that if he had not controlled mechanical emotions, human emotion, he would have vaporized that parking attendant and the whole parking lot would have just turned to dust. I mean, it was like... Here comes Robert now. Look at my face. Uh, So yes, uh, in that clip, the green explains just how much of a presence that this man, uh, Robert Burton has. It specifically reminds me of this anime hunter hunter. And, uh, they spend a lot of the time sort of calculating the odds of a battle outcome by measuring the presence, the amount of like, uh, just uh, sort of, um, what's a good word? the way you carry yourself and just how much confidence you have in this uh, current situation and whatnot. And, uh, just being like totally aware of your surroundings and, uh, the certain, you know, um, having insight into what your opponent may be trying to pull off and so on and so forth. Uh, another, another anime reference actually is, uh, the, Universal Tournament of Power in the Dragon Ball Super Saga, and Goku unlocks the new super sweet form called Ultra Instinct, and uh, with other Super Saiyan forms and uh, various characters powering up, it's always this like sort of concussive blast with 
each um each rising i guess of the of the levels or the um getting experience and getting these new powers and it's just like all this wind and and just like raw energy punch in the air so on and so forth a lot of electricity just raw power but with the ultra instinct stuff it's uh several times in the show the characters are referencing just the amount of heat that goku is giving off in this new form it's not this concussive blast anymore it's it's just like this sort of uh rock that is landed in your gut and you're just you know everything is focused on this one um instance of just or this one character this one instance of uh this person being totally there and everyone's sucked in and I have a clip here of another current member, an affluent airline pilot. Uh, and by airline, I guess he's smalling, uh, flying smaller uh, personal jets and whatnot. And uh, he's got a lot to say about being present. Like Marcus, Peter inherited wealth from a family business, a roasted nut company called Moro's Nut House. Turns out a lot of members came from family money. I mean, living here is, is really a very different experience. Like at dinners we have here, it's so different being with people who understand this idea of being present. And then we, I remember the, one of the last dinners I had here. We just at the end of it, we just were silent. We sat here for probably ten minutes. It was so beautiful. Nobody feels were, the need to have to say anything. That's like what Robert was saying at the meeting. It was so beautiful to be all together, two hundred people, silently, you know, in presence. They're talking about being present. It's the main teaching in the fellowship. Presence is like an extreme form of mindfulness. Through mastering constant presence, you can become fully conscious. And one of the reasons I fly my airplane so much is that it forces me to be in the present moment because otherwise I'd be dead very quickly, flying around in a high-performance 250-mile-an-hour machine. The 44 angels that guide the fellowship, like Plato, Chaucer, Da Vinci, John Milton, they were mortals until they mastered presence and transcended human existence. So there are many ways to this state of presence. You don't have to give up living in a beautiful house or owning a hotel or having a Ferrari or an airplane. Or The good news is that so you can become more present, you. Because everybody <laughs> that comes in contact with someone who's a little more conscious, it affects them. And you'll know the difference. I mean, you'll feel the difference. You're probably noticing now, even your, your time here, you kind of get a buzz off what you're experiencing, I would think. Yeah I'm, yeah, I'm trying to process it. Yeah, of course. It's, and it's a lot. Well, don't think about it's it. It's very intense, That's too. That's the big thing. The main key is stop thinking. Like one of the ideas in the work is the non-expression of negativity, not the suppression. Robert encourages followers to avoid negative thoughts. He says this is to help them awaken. But to me, it seems like they're pushing away any doubt. You can just be present right now and just hear the music and be aware of oneself. It's amazing. Because this is your life. This is the moment in your life right now. Everything in your whole life brought you to this moment right now. Am I being recruited? The The CDC is like this whole governmental body with scientists and shit that just tell us what to do. You don't have to think about it, dude. So, yes, this idea of the pursuit of presence, uh, this guy's so swarmy. It's like, oh, you you know, it's you, you can still own a Ferrari. You can still fly a fucking plane and fucking and these people are ghouls seriously terrence mckenna i, I was gonna make a mention of this earlier we'll have to circle back to this once we uh touch on a clip later but uh robert burton was featured in one of these clips and 
Um, I couldn't think of Terrence McKenna's name, unfortunately, but if you were to put a clip of Robert Burton speaking side by side of uh, Terrence McKenna, these guys have the same sort of syncopation in their voices, the same cadence, the same sort of soft spoken sort of mousy like characters where, you know, their vast intellect is almost too much for them to handle and it makes them sound so incredibly tender and sensitive and uh, a little spooky at times. Mill you, yes, thank you. Um, so I'm going to try and skip forward a little bit in this clip. They, In the beginning of it, they're describing just all the different furnitures that Robert was, uh, was purchasing. Uh, one of the former members is, accuses him of being addicted to shopping. Uh, it also talks about all the different exotic animals, like uh, white camels and these... Um, these purebred lines of uh, lineages of dogs and whatnot and parrots and all sorts of crazy shit. And uh, hopefully if I can line it up correctly, this is some of the rules that were supposed to be followed. Robert essentially got whatever he desired. He did what he wanted, but his students had to abide by strict rules that were always changing. No smoking cigarettes. Ah, the no smoking pot rule. No TV or outside media. No pop or rock music. No more Metallica. You couldn't say certain words. There was a time when you couldn't say the word I. People had to give up pets that weren't purebred, but they couldn't complain about it. No expressions of negativity. No gossip. There is even an exercise against judgment. There was no crossing legs, no humor, no athletic activity. You weren't allowed to go swimming. No oriental rugs, no eyeglasses, no pants for women. Wear a skirt. And one of the most profitable rules. No sex outside of marriage. Some students were watching to see who is having sex with whom, and it's not married, you see. There was a sex police. I had to pay $1,500. You had to pay $1,500? Because I had sex with a woman I was not married. The first time you pay $1,500, the second you are expelled. Whoopsie, he got busted by the sex police. <laughs> what a ghoul! Uh, so this unfortunately leads us to an all too classic situation where you got rules for thee, but you ain't got rules for me. During this period that Robert was telling fellowship members not to have sex outside of marriage and that it was wrong to have homosexual relationships, he was allegedly sexually exploiting his male students. Many members knew this was happening to some extent. They had a hunch or heard rumors or saw things, but few people understood the scope as well as Marlene. Yeah, they were being sodomized, and I figured that out. I mean, you know, it's not, it's not really hard. <laughs> hey oh. Yeah. Oh, gosh, I remember this one guy, John. As Robert's housekeeper in the early days of the fellowship, Marlene had a thorough understanding of the teacher's lifestyle. Can you tell me some of the things you first started seeing, like details that made you realize that something was going on? I was down there seven days a week. Every day there were empty tubes of lubricating jelly in his wastebasket. That's a heck of a lot of sex. <laughs> and also at the same time I was doing the young guy's laundry. It was caked with this lubricating jelly. 
Marlene was especially close to one of these men who she believes Robert was sexually exploiting. My friend Brian, Robert kept him for about 20 years. What do you mean kept him? Kept in his house. One time he singled me out at his house and he said, I'm having all the other people move out of my house except Brian. You know, he was saying this to me to, to hurt me because he thought, I was in love with Brian. I would see them together when I would come down to clean. And Robert would be saying to Brian, now, Brian, you need to take a nap this afternoon. And Brian would be standing there just white with rage. Eventually, Robert had him taken away and dumped in Sacramento because he started to lose his mind after 20 years of this sadistic behavior. So not only being interested in uh, young, handsome, athletic, uh, well-educated young men, uh, typically, from what I understood, it was uh, Burton was the one that liked having the things done to him. Um, And uh, there was just an endless cycle of recruiting younger people every year, kind of cycling them through. And then when he was done with them, you just uh, chew them up, spit them out as it goes. I will say that this particular podcast, the uh, Jennings, was really obsessed with all the sex stuff. Uh, So that's pretty much the only, um, I'd say one of his more major focuses was just, you know, is is there some sort of sex trafficking going on because the organization would grant visas to people in places like Brazil, Russia, I mean, it's a... It's a worldwide organization, so they would provide visas, bring these um, apprentices over, and then Burton would turn around and have sex with them at some point. Uh, He would do a lot of lawn con sort of grooming stuff. Um, And it would have been interesting, I guess, if he had tried to delve more into the sort of esoterical side of uh, what the Fellowship of Friends believes in, but uh, I suppose that is neither here nor there. Now, I do have a shorter clip. This, uh, I think, highlights the, just the ungodly amount of points that Robert Burton uh, uh, dumped into his charisma stats. I'm a short guy, and Robert said, I got a fortune cookie recently that said that short man will enter your life. How do you feel when an angel tells you that? But he kissed me in the mouth, and I felt I was falling back to another dimension. Why? Well, an angel kissed me in the mouth. If we see cults of an addiction, that was my first shot of heroin. But I was saved. Saved from what? From the sexual abuse. Because a friend of mine that was so similar to me arrived a few days later. And when Robert saw him for the first time, he came to me and said, sorry, it was a mistake. He was the short guy. But at that moment, no, this is a mistake. You feel bad not to be one of his lovers. And that's unfortunate. You got people wrapped around your your pinky finger so completely holy that... uh... You know, when you don't go out and sexually abuse them, they're like, oh, well, shit, what did I do wrong? Uh, what is wrong with me? Um, and it's unfortunate uh, 
it's pretty pretty heinous stuff, especially if you if it is to be believed in the uh, hundreds of people that have experienced this, and you know people are getting loaded off of it and just buying all sorts of crazy antique furnitures, drinking wine all the time. Uh, there's so many uh, artistic and cultural events. They do ballets at the Apollo site. They do theatrical shows. They do um, operas. They are all about the arts. Now, the gentleman that we were just listening to in this previous clip, he uh, goes on to describe just exactly how the sensation of being around Robert functions. And it's, uh, and it's all too familiar. Can you think of one particular moment or story when you felt this, the highest elevated state and you were like, this is it? One story? I have 30,000 stories. It's a drug. So imagine that you are interviewing a 28-year meth addict. Tell me one time that you took meth and you felt, I see God. I said, all the time. You are in a permanent high. Permanent. I was always in the compound and I was always seeing Robert passing. That gives you a high. In the middle of lunch, we're talking about Armageddon and God visiting Robert. Say hi. Just made it very real for me. Yesterday, I went to a little setting over near the Galleria. Somebody was playing jazz. There was champagne and hors d'oeuvres. Robert came and sat in the middle, and everybody was sitting around. Um, so I was just a few feet from him. And everybody was dressed very nice, just sipping champagne. I mean, the... The sun was setting, the fountains were going. I'm not even a student, but you're making me realize like what that would be like over and over. Yeah, you just had a, a taste of heroin. <laughs> Imagine if you are taking it for years and years every day, you're on a permanent high. Yeah, permanent holiday, permanent high. And uh, Jennings is definitely rattled there. Uh, he There was a, a section in, in the show, like you just described, of... Him being at one of the functions and just, you know, everybody is super intensely focused on the moment, just like deep, deep eye contact and uh, um, just being riveted with each other's conversations. But as soon as Robert enters the room, it's just like you could hear you could hear a needle drop. You know, all eyes were focused on Robert. Uh, and he's kind of a outlandish dude. You know, he, he wears a lot of really bright colors, a lot of floral patterns. Um uh, it's described that he's got hundreds of flowery t-shirts and hundreds of pairs of shoes and hundreds of hats and a ring for each finger and each uh, article of clothing is perfectly matched with the uh, next item. So he's always presenting this unified presence, right, of uh, culture and design. Really exciting stuff. Um you know, I, I've got another clip here. It gets more into the sexual abuse and the allegations. I think we've kind of um, gotten the point with that. Uh, so I have instead a treat for you. Uh, remember when we were discussing Terrence McKenna and uh, his milieu? Well, I have a clip of the man himself. This is Richard Burton describing seeing symbols through a license plate. By B is long B, 
Masonic song, Bye Bye Baby, Bye Bye Baby, you'll know. That's that's Masonic, Bye Bye Baby, is Long B. That's what Russ Hodges said when Bobby Thompson hit a home run uh, to defeat the, the, the New York Giants, beat the Brooklyn Dodgers. And Russ Hodges said, bye, bye, baby. <laughs> it's the end of the game, Long B. Bye-bye, baby. Bye-bye, B. Bye. Bye. Bye, B. <laughs> Goodbye to B. But it may mean to buy some Bs, too, during B-U-Y. Also... Yes. No humor. No the humor. Bees are having trouble, a lot of trouble. Everything's having a lot of trouble. We're the only ones escaping trouble with presents. Well, with presents, there it is. Uh, just an all-around sort of creepy cadence. Um, there's another clip on that same channel on YouTube uh, that I pulled this clip from. <laughs> And uh, there's a dude standing behind Robert Burton uh, during the speech of some capacity, and uh, he's talking about uh, the 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 student leans into his ear on a hot mic and is talking about unzipping his pants and doing the unmentionable to him. And uh, dear old Richard Burton gets all in a tizzy and he's like, oh, um. So yeah, all around uh, kind of a creep. And these uh, this organization has now infiltrated Google. And this is not the first time that a cult has infiltrated an organization. If you remember the Operation Snow White with the Scientologists uh, infiltrating the IRS. Um, so this is, uh, it'll be very interesting to see what happens in regards to this lawsuit. And will Google be sharpening their spiritual radar? Uh, only time will tell. Uh, some, uh, I guess to wrap this up, uh, the man uh, in question of the lawsuit uh, who sort of kickstarted this all off by treating the um, Mr. Lloyd, who the guy that brought the lawsuit, uh, he kicked it off by treating him like shit. Uh, so Google Developer Studio... Um, is ran by Peter Lovers, longtime member of the Fellowship of Friends. At Google, he is a director, a role that is usually a rung below vice president in Google management, and usually receives annual compensation of the uh, in the high six figures or low seven figures, and 10% of that is going to the Fellowship. Previously, this guy worked for a staffing company called Kelly Services, uh... Mr. Lloyd's lawyer won a similar suit against Kelly Services in 2008 on behalf of uh, a claim or uh, claimant, uh, Lynn Noyes, who claimed that the company had failed to promote her because she was not a member of the fellowship. California court awarded Mrs. Noyes uh, $6.5 million in damages. So um, Mr. Lubber's already, uh, he's been, he's worked for a company that's already been spanked for, uh, having cult-like behavior uh, on in the workplace. Uh, is there anything else on this gentleman? Uh, under Mr. Lovers, the group brought in several other members of the fellowship, including a video producer, 
And uh, a 2015 photo posted to the internet by this producer. Um, oh, I'm sorry. It was a it was a photo pr- uh, posted by his father. Shows uh, lovers and the producer with Richard Burton um, at one of the church gatherings. So it's the director of Google. It's one of his minions, a producer, and uh, the producer's father, who are all at the church. Uh, there was a senior video producer who has worked for the Google Developer Studio since 2015, who came through ASG, the hiring firm, said the team's leadership abused the hiring system that brought workers in as contractors. They were able to further their own aims very rapidly because they could hire people far, with far less scrutiny and a far less rigorous onboarding process than if these people were brought on as full-time employees. It meant that no one was looking very closely when all of these people were brought on from the foothills of the Sierras. Um, Mr. Lloyd, the plaintiff, said that after applying for his job, he had interviewed with uh, the producer twice, and they had reported directly to the producer when he joined a 25-person Bay Area video production team inside of the Google Development Studio. Uh, He soon noticed that nearly half of his team, including lovers and the producer, came from the Oregon house. And, uh, yeah, just goes on and on. There's a, uh, um, New York times article that gets way deep into this, but I think it is time for us to call it a night. We're going to check to see if we had any more screen mails come in. We did not see if we had any more boostograms come in. We did not. So I think that puts us in the clear to wrap this up. Those ghouls, those ghouls. Thanks for hanging out with me all of tonight. I appreciate it. And there was a little bit of word salad, a little bit of stumbling over myself, but I couldn't help it. It's been a, it's been a long while, but I appreciate you hanging out with me tonight. It's been a lot of fun. Learned a little bit about Philosopher's Stones. We got, uh, we got our freak on with the AI.hell satin. Drawing some protection sigils. How cool is that? Taking live calls, listening to some music at uh, at inopportune times. Hell yeah, that's how we do it. Very cool, very legal. And we'll be back next week. Uh, this should be a very exciting show. I have not yet mentioned it on this production yet. We was talking about it on Hog Story a little bit yesterday. And on Seven Eleven, in one week. As long as nothing crazy happens, we will have on a very special guest. His name is Hunter Jackson, and he is the human slave to none other than Techno Destructo, arch enemy of the band Guar. This is going to be fucking lit. I could not be more excited. This guy is uh, an amazing artist. He's a wrestler. He's an intergalactic shit kicker. He's there to ruin your day, and I couldn't be happier. If that makes any sense. <laughs> I hope that makes sense. And if I keep making sense, the only place I'm going to be able to do it is on this show every Monday night, 7.30, 9.30, uh, 10.30 Eastern, and I'll be back next week. And until then... I'm Booberry, Black Knight of the Mothman.
like, ah, oh, this tastes just like human flesh. We do have demons on Earth. That's your daddy. A gimp suits, to me, doesn't scream family friendliness. What they need is mommy and daddy government to come and take care of them. Give that little sweetheart a little bit of love. They don't know shit about fuck. I mean, these, these are cultist-type people. She's perfect, and she's beautiful, and stunning, and brave. <laughs> I know you oh like to get God. wet, dog. <laughs> are you ready to rock, Blueberry? I feel like I'm in a dystopian horror film. Wow. Wow. This is Behind the Schemes, the esoterica of your dreams. 